my number will come up um, on the screen. Uh, so if you, uh, there's anything that I don't address this evening, any questions you have, please feel free to text in those questions. Um, I'll try and answer them at the end um, of the service. Or if there's anything personal you want to send in where you think, ah, oh, just, just something, a comment that I have, uh, please feel free to do that as well, and I'll uh, get back to you um, during the week. But have you, have you ever had such unbelievable news that you've struggled to take it in? Um, I was in a ramen shop in Japan on the 31st of August, 1997, and I was sitting in the ramen shop, and I heard something in the background on a TV and I asked the chef what's happened. It was something to do with the royal family. There were pictures of the royal family coming up on TV. The TV was turned down, and I said, well, what's happened? And they said, oh, Queen Elizabeth is dead. And I was shocked. But then his colleague clarified and said, no, it's not Elizabeth. It's the other one. It's Diana. And as I was kind of eating my noodles, I kind of almost choked on my noodles. I couldn't believe it. Surely there had been a mistake. She is the people's princess. Somehow, someone has gotten it wrong. I mean, such is the kind of a shock factor that Habakkuk receives when he hears the unexpected news from God. If you remember last week, Habakkuk has complained to God about the state of the nation that he's in. He's cried out that he's asked God why he doesn't do something about it. How can you just sit back and do nothing? He's accused God of not listening to him. And God responds to Habakkuk by telling him that he's going to do something in his day that seems to make no sense. He's going to energize and empower their enemies, their arch rivals, the Babylonians, who are going to come and conquer the nation. He's going to punish the evil of Judah with the evil of the Babylonians. And as Habakkuk hears this news, he struggles to receive this shocking news that he receives. The word Habakkuk, it means the one who struggles, you know, the one who wrestles. He's wrestling with the word of God. He's trying to, to process what's going to happen, and he tries to do that through the lens of God's character. We see that at the beginning in verse 12. He says, are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My Holy One, you or, or we will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. He acknowledges that, that God is eternal. And because God is eternal, he is unchanging. As he prays and as he, as he speaks to God, he invokes the covenant name of God. He calls him the Lord. He calls him Yahweh. And all of this means that, that God's promises to his people will stand. Therefore, he says, we will not die. We will not be completely snuffed out. On the one hand, Habakkuk accepts the Babylonians' rule and accepts their role as God's instruments of discipline. You know, he says there, you, you Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You are my rock. You have ordained them to punish. He understands that. But he can't accept how God's character can have anything to do with these Babylonians. He says, you know, in verse 18, you know, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? 
I mean, it's God's use of the Babylonians. Isn't that somehow kind of sanctioning their success? It feels like God, by his inaction, is validating the actions of the Babylonians. He's stepping back and just letting them go ahead. He's not stepping in. It looks like he's now validating what they're doing. And also, the joy, the smugness of the wicked, it also troubles Habakkuk. He says, you know, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He, he drives them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, and he makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Babylon, you know, Habakkuk says, is just like a, an abusive fisherman. He's, you know, going out just fishing. He's fishing in whatever waters he wants to fish in. He's doing all illegal fishing. He's, he's going out with hooks and he's, he's pulling in as much fish as he wants. He's just dragging his nets. He's, he's burning incense to his nets. He, he lives it up in his fi Michelin five-star restaurant, all at the expense of other people, all expen expenses of everyone else. And he seems to be doing this. He seems to be operating like this without there being any consequences at all. And Habakkuk doesn't like the world that he's living in. He doesn't like the, wor the world that he, he's perceiving. And at the heart of his protest, it's there in verse 14, he says, you have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creature that has no ruler. And why does God allow sin to prosper? Why does he not allow sin to, but, sin to, to exist, but to, to prosper and to grow and to, in, in the world? Why does God allow people to live without any allegiance or reverence or even reference to their creator. And then, as God you know, allows all of this to continue and all of this to happen, how then does he allow evil dictators then to step in and to kind of like fill that power vacuum? At the beginning of chapter 2, you know, Habakkuk, he, he waits for God's answers. He's not happy. And from chapter 2, verse 2, God begins to answer Habakkuk. He says, you know, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. If it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The people, you know, they'll be tempted to, to, to dis disbelieve what they hear because of the time, the long time they're going to have to wait. It's going to be eight or ten years before they see these words coming to fruition with the fall of Jerusalem. It's going to be another 70 years of waiting to see the fall of the Babylon, to see the Babylonians fall. It's going to be after more than 70 years before the people can return to the land. It's going to be hundreds of years before they see the words ultimately fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith will always require waiting for God's timing. And that's hard for us, isn't it? In an age that expects and demands immediate results where we have KPIs to fulfill, where we are looking at outcomes, you know, that just have to be fulfilled immediately, this can be so frustrating for us. But God will not be coerced. He won't be hurried along. He's always working according to his plan for us 
for his people, for his church, for his world. God's now ready to address Habakkuk and his hearers. And as he does that, he draws attention to two lifestyles, two worldviews, two ways to live. The first way is the way of the proud. In verse 4, he says, Behold, um, his soul is puffed up. The CSB says, Behold, his ego is inflated. He is without you know, integrity and is not upright within him. God portrays the Babylonians as those who are, who are puffed up with themselves, who are full of themselves. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, they are a law unto themselves. They make up their own rules, and they're proud of it. There are people that seek their own glory. There are people who, who push the boundaries of what is right and what is wrong. They make their own decision about what is right and wrong. They are the true north. They will decide what to do. In verse 5, you know, we, we know that the Babylonians, they're, they're known for their heavy drinking. And the booze, God describes it as, as a traitor. It, it further inflates them. It inflates their ego. It pumps them up even more. It gives them Dutch courage. And it makes them feel important. It makes them feel more re relevant than what they really are. You know, arrogant people are always looking for things to be proud of, even things that people shouldn't be proud of. They're still looking for those things. Therefore, they're always busy and they never rest. The Babylonians are never satisfied. In verse 5, you know, they will take down all the major players of their day, and that still will not be enough. You know, pride, it isn't just the, the root of the Babylonian sin, it's also the root of our sin. Pride, you know, it puffs us up, puffs up our ego. It gives us a false sense of independence. We feel that we can live independently of God. We feel entitled to do whatever we want to do, to live without any kind of reference to God. And from verses 6 to 20, God says that the proud will not get away with living indifferently to God and to his ways. A number of years ago, I went to um, a state of origin. Um, I was given some free tickets I wouldn't have paid to go and watch it, sorry, but um, I went to watch it. And um, before the game, you know, Billy Moore was there, um, the legend, you know, the Queenslander legend, and he's standing in the middle of Suncorp Stadium, and he's got his can of 4X, and he kind of looks to the, you know, the, all the Queenslanders, and he goes, we are Queenslander, and people are going mental. Like 50,000 people are just going crazy with Billy Moore's We Are Queenslander. And then he kind of turns to the Sydney, you know, the, the, the New South Wales supporters, and he looks at them, and he holds up his can of 4X and goes, we are Queenslander, and they all boo. They're boo, you know, they're all boo, and they're all yelling at him, shouting at him, and while he's doing that, the Queensland fans are all yelling, and then he turns around to the next part of the stadium, and we are Queenslander, everybody goes crazy. And then he kind of gets to the end, and he squeezes the can, and he does one last, we are Queenslander, and everybody goes bananas. And I'm thinking, what is this? It's like a pantomime. Like, is this a sporting event or what? You know, what is going on here? And during the game, you know, all the Queenslanders, as soon as a particular Sydney, or a New South Wales player touches the ball, everybody's heckling them. You know, there are certain players that people have songs that they sing along to as somebody touches the ball or does something. You know, it's the same as the, um, the Queensland supporters. You know, whenever they touch the ball, they do something or they, they walk along past the Queensland supporters. They're heckling them. They're yelling at them. They're shouting at them. They're just kind of like just trying to pull them down. That's 
what God says it's going to be like in the future for the Babylonians. One day, the nations who have been oppressed by these Babylonians, including Judah, they are going to taunt their enemies. They're going to taunt Babylon because of their arrogance, because of their pride, because of their confidence in themselves and in their success. They're not going to get away with everything that they've done. They're not going to get away with all their boasting and all their arrogance. The nations, you know, they will sing five woes against their enemies. We don't have time to go into this evening, but they're summarized. They start in a bit like this. Woe to you who think that you can prosper at the expense of others. Someday you will get your comeuppance. Woe to you who think that you can build up your own security by destroying others. You will be shamed beyond recognition. Woe to you who thinks that you can build an empire on self. Your toil, your hard work, your success apart from God will result in nothing. Woe to you who think that you can sow and not reap. You will reap what you sow. You sow shame and disgrace and violence and that's exactly what you'll get in return. Woe to you who puts trust in idols. Wake up from your slumber before it's too late. You know, the proud, the ones who live without any reference to God, those who trust in themselves, who trust in their ways, and it seems to work. And it seems to work for a time. It seems to work. But at some point, their confidence and their world will come crashing down. The things that we put our trust in, comfort, you know, security, entertainment, money, success, fame, need to be seen for what they are. They can never deliver what we need. They are man-made solutions. They cannot speak the truth. They cannot ultimately move us. They cannot guide us. They are dead. They, they teach lies. That what we constantly feed our minds and hearts with, whether it's through social media or through streaming service, or whatever that might be, you know, it may look precious at times, but at their heart, they're ultimately worthless and, and corrosive. In contrast, in verse 20, the living God is present with his people. He teaches truth. He's alive. He's well. He's working out his purposes. He's giving guidance. He's directing. He's comforting his people. No one has to wake him up. No one has to prompt him to speak. He's already speaking. If we will just stop and we will listen to him. And in the end of the day, it makes sense to live in reference to God. Independence from God will eventually lead to ruin. But, you know, that's, that's really hard for us, isn't it? Because I think for all, lots of us here, you know, we grew up whenever we were kids, whenever kids are born. What's the whole goal? It's to get a child and to get them to become as dependent, to be as independent as quickly as possible. So whenever kids are born, you know, they're, they're in their parents' room. But the whole goal is to get them out of that room as quickly as possible into the spare room, into the cage, into the cot, you know, lock the door, get the door, not lock the door, but you know, like close the door, you know, put them in there. And the whole goal is let's get this kid to be as independent as quickly as possible. You know, the goal of parents is to get our kids out of the house as quickly as possible. We delight in having our kids leave home. And well, some of us do, but you know, we, we delight in it. It's at last they're learning independence. And yet the one thing that we need more than anything else as human beings is, is learned dependence on God. 
And yet that's something that a lot of us don't live with. We don't grow with that. We don't want that. We're not used to it. It doesn't come naturally to us. As Proverbs you know, famously puts it, you know, the fear of the Lord, it's the, it's the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, the, the way of the proud, the way of those who are just you know, independent of God, who are dependent upon themselves only, it stands in stark contrast to the way of the righteous. Chapter 2, verse 4, you know, we, we read those famous words, the righteous will live by his faith. Those who want to live in a right relationship with God will live by their trust in God and in his promises. God's people will recognize God's word and they will trust it in that word. You know, central to, to Habakkuk's understanding of faith is, is the fact that God is active in his world. Habakkuk expects God to do something. That's why he's always in God's face. And again, I think that's hard for us because I think lots of us, we've just given up believing that God can actually do something. Sometimes we, 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 are, we live prayerless lives because somewhere along the line, you know, maybe in the past, we've prayed for something and it hasn't happened. We've waited on God to do something and he hasn't done it. And so at some point, we just stop praying or we stop depending upon God or we, or we stop expecting that God will actually intervene and do something. We grow cynical. We grow independent of God. We don't expect him to do anything. But faith is actually being in God's face and it's expecting God to be at work in his world, that he is at work in his world, just as he promises that he will be. In the immediate context, you know, for, for, um, for Habakkuk, living by faith means that people would continue trusting in what God is saying, trusting in what God is doing, despite how unreasonable and how absurd it sounds. It'll mean accepting their faith, accepting their shame in the short term. It will mean having to put up with the arrogance and the pride of the Babylonians. A bit like the, uh, you know, the, the New South Wales supporters putting up with the, um, the arrogance of the Queenslanders, you know, just waiting for the moment to come. You know, just waiting, just you guys wait. You're going to see what's happening. There's one kind of way person from New South Wales who's smiling, the rest of you have kind of way, like, you know, demonized looking at me. But, um, you know, it's waiting for that moment. They're going to have to put up with that. They're going to have to put up with the pride of the Babylonians, knowing that in the end, there will be egg on their face. It will mean patience and exile, thousands and thousands of kilometers from home without a temple for 70 years. It will mean living with a sneaking suspicion that God, will have, God has abandoned them. He's forgotten about them. You know, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he also uses Habakkuk 2 in, Hebrews, in, 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 in Romans chapter 1. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul is also like Habakkuk. He's speaking to God's people in times of great upheaval and uncertainty. Jerusalem will be destroyed once again. Just as Jesus has said, a new Roman order is, is ruling everywhere. And like Babylon, it's just consumed everything before her. Greek philosophy and thought, it's the dominant worldview, appears to be immovable. And in, into this seemingly 
an impregnable and just indestructible empire and worldview, the message of a crucified Savior comes. It's the message of a rejected, condemned, shamed criminal who has been crucified on a Roman cross, who has then risen from the dead. And Paul says he's not ashamed of this message, even though this message flies in the face of everything that Rome and Greece and even Jerusalem stands for. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God. It's what saves people from death to life. In it, people are declared righteous before a holy God. Not on the basis of their own righteousness, their own goodness, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. No one is good enough. No one is ever good enough to spend eternity in heaven with God. But Christ makes us good enough through the cross. And Paul says the person that receives this message, they receive it by faith. As in Habakkuk's day, the person who receives God's message continues not just to receive the message by faith, but continues to live by faith, committing their lives to trust in God, to trust in his word, to trust in his purposes. And our faith, or our, our, our lack of faith, it, it, you know, it, it's not the object of faith. Living by faith is not about, can I working up ourselves a certain amount of faith. You know, sometimes in some churches that we've been through, you know, we say, oh, he doesn't have enough faith or she doesn't have enough faith or you have to have more faith if you have more faith. And it's like almost like it's something that you need to quantify or build up within yourselves. Jesus says, you know, these words, he says in Matthew 17, for truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Living by faith means that, that it means that we have God as the object of our faith. It's knowing and trusting in him. It's knowing and trusting in all who he is and what he has done for us and what he can do. And for us today, we can be tempted to think that living by faith means, well, just living by believing in faith truths about God. Just adhering to those like a tick box, you know, wow, I believe this, yes, 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 I believe. That's what faith is. But faith is more than just agreeing with God. It's more than just some kind of adherence to intellectual belief. It's taking and experiencing God at his word. You know, we cannot say, oh, yes, I believe that God is sovereign, and then spend the rest of our lives just worrying all the time. We can't say that as a church, yes, I believe that God is dependable, that the God that we worship is a God that I can depend on, and yet sometimes our, our church can be, our church life can be characterized by a lack of prayer. We, can, we can't say, yes, I depend on God, and yet be a prayerless church. We can't say we believe, yes, I believe wholeheartedly, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for me. We can't say, yes, I believe in that, and then just be ignorant or indifferent about a world that doesn't know Jesus. Living by faith means bringing the truth of the word of God, his character, his promises into our lives, and for him and his ways to become the reality of our lives, the reality of our lives, to trust in his words, to trust in his words. And that, that trust, you know, it trumps our words, our desires, even our feelings, even our impulses. But faith is more than just a concept. It's the power to live. Here's a quote from 1901 
from the Herman Bavening um, as he expounds in 1 John 5, verse 4. This is what he says about faith. Faith is a world-conquering power. Such faith is not simply an activity of the lips or an intellectual affirmation of a historical truth. Rather, faith is a firm certainty, an unshakable conviction, and an eradicable trust that, that comes not from blood, not the will of the flesh, not from human will, but from God and his spirit who implants it in our hearts. This is the bond that binds our hearts to the mediator and holds fast to him as through it is beholding the invisible. This is the power that transfers one out of darkness into the kingdom of the son of God's love. This is the power which supplies the believer with the place to stand in a resting place in a world of immovable realities. This is the firm foundation for what the, hope, the believer hopes and the irrefutable proof for those things which he does not see. This is the courage which enables him to defy the world and rejoice. You know, on paper, it looks like the Babylonians are going to overpower the world as the, as the waters cover the sea, but God turns this image on its head. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters covers the sea. It will be the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus, not the name of the Babylonians that will cover the whole earth. And it's God's glory that, 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 that is manifest fully when his people continue to trust him, even when life doesn't make any sense. You know, we are faced with, with two choices on how to live, either to live with our life puffed up with self, the way of the proud, or to live with our life filled up with faith, the way of the righteous. And the fact that we're sitting here in Brisbane, we're sitting here at the bottom of the world, we couldn't be further away from, from, from the story from Jerusalem, than what we are today. We're at the buck end of the world, right at the bottom of the world. We're still talking about Jesus. We're still worshiping Jesus, even thousands of years after these words were spoken. We're sitting here with people from all over the world, from lots of different cultures, lots of different backgrounds. And the Babylonian and the Roman Empire, it's long forgotten. The fact that we're doing that is a tangible reminder and a prompt to us of the wisdom of living by faith, even when our world doesn't make any sense. Let's pray.